The Brooklyn Vegan Show is a podcast about music brought to you by the music blog and online record store Brooklyn Vegan. Make sure to subscribe to hear all of our upcoming episodes featuring interviews with musicians and more, and find us 24-7 at brooklynvegan.com, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Hey, welcome to the new episode of the Brooklyn Vegan Show. I'm BV editor Andrew Sacker, and today's episode is with an artist that I've been a fan of for a very long time, Anthony Green. If you're unfamiliar, Anthony's been making music for about two decades. He's been in the band Circa Survive, The Sound of Animals Fighting, Seosin, and he's got a very prolific solo career, including his great new record, Boom Done. If you're into post-hardcore or emo or indie rock or any kind of underground rock, there's definitely some Anthony Green music for you. He's got so much range. The new record is awesome. It's like the most personal thing he's ever done. It's got these great horn arrangements. It's super different for him. We talk a lot about that new record. We also talk about some history. We talk about his, you know, the bands he's been in over the years, new stuff coming up with those bands. Uh, we just talk about the idea in general of like achieving longevity as an artist and other artists who have done so, like the Deftones and Me Without You. And actually, shortly after we recorded this episode, the news broke on the new supergroup that Anthony's fronting, LS Dunes, which also features members of My Chemical Romance, Thursday, and Coheed and Cambria. They've got a killer single out now, they have tour dates coming up, so go check all that out, and here's my chat with Anthony Green. The last time that we spoke, actually, um, was kind of ahead of the Blue Sky Noise tour. We had talked a little bit about that. That tour got canceled. Um... I think because you said you were working on some mental health stuff, which obviously yeah. is also stuff that gets reflected in this record. Um, can you talk just a little bit about maybe the past year or so for you personally, how like the work you've been doing on yourself kind of led to the creation of these songs? Well, I started working on the songs in the beginning of the pandemic and um, really lost myself uh, toward the middle and end when we were getting ready for that circuit tour. Um, again, and a lot of it came, comes to communication, you know, like I wasn't utilizing the people I had around me that I could talk to, to work things out. I wasn't, um, putting the time into trying to make things how I would feel the most comfortable in doing them. And so it ended up just coming to a head where it was just a bad environment for me, um, to put myself in, it had no, nothing to do with anybody else. Um, those guys are incredible. And I've been incredibly patient with me and understanding, um, you know, throughout the whole thing. But um, throughout the year of just kind of losing my shit a little bit, um, I was writing these songs and I was sort of using these songs as almost like a crutch, like to have this thing to work on. Um, and I saw I saw like what I was going through. Instead of being like a thing that was like there to, to hurt me, I started trying to see it as like, okay, I need to figure out how I can like express what I'm going through creatively and do it in like on a personal level, you know, it has to be both things. It can't just be like, 
well, I'm going to write about this stuff in a song and then it gets worked out because I wrote about it in a song. Like I have to actually go to therapy. I have to actually take the time to talk to the people in my life that I need to talk to and say the things that I need to say. And all of the stuff, you know, the, the mental health stuff, the addiction stuff, stuff with my family, stuff that I was going through all worked its way into the record. Um, and I feel like that's what every artist does. If they're smart, you know, they work whatever they're going through into whatever they're making somehow, just so they can have their identity in there. And uh, it kind of sucks just because like, it feels like I've been writing this album my whole life. You know, like I've been talking about these things my whole life and dealing with them, um, trying to figure out how I can get better. And to still be writing about some of this stuff, you know, six albums in just solo record wise, it's like, ugh, when the fuck am I going to get better? <laughs> when the fuck am I going to be good? Um, but, you know, I've resolved myself to the fact that maybe um, I don't have to worry about that, that I just need to take it one day at a time and to continue to put out the stuff that I feel most connected to and can use that as ways to, you know, remind people that they can get better, you know, and that, um, that it takes a long time and that we're, they're not alone and all that stuff. So, you know, maybe the process isn't a short one for me, you know, and maybe I'm meant to, to sing about it and write about it so that, you know, the not so short process for everybody else can be a little bit easier. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, it's, it's always been like this, but I feel like lately, I mean, it probably has something to do with the pandemic and just everything else going on. But like a lot of the albums that have felt kind of significant this year or so, a lot of people I think are opening up about mental health on like a level that's like almost more direct and explicit than, yeah. Like, I mean, even like, you know, look at somebody like Kendrick Lamar is doing it. I can't believe you just said Kendrick Lamar because I was just thinking about that record. Mm -hmm. um, and that like for him and for the hip hop community, I mean, that record's very vulnerable. Yeah. You know, oh my God, I can't believe you just said that. <laughs> I was, when you started talking about other artists, I was like, yeah, like, like Kendrick, like he just put out that record and, you know, um, it's, you know, it's still him, you know, but it's him getting down to the core a little bit. I think that's only going to help art and music, you know. For sure. And like, um, you know, I think when someone like he does someone like him does that or when you do it or like, you know, it's like, yeah, you're, you're putting yourself out there for kind of everybody else who, you know, isn't either going to maybe get the chance or maybe just like, is that's not the way they express themselves. And like, you know, because like a teaching moment. Um, yeah. And I always, you know, just like, like, it's so therapeutic for fans, but uh, and it must be for you and for other artists too but like at the same time like you know I do wonder like if any artists who do that are ever just like I think I gotta stop telling everybody about all this stuff you know like it's getting oh, dude, hard I have <laughs> that I feel that sentiment all the time I do these like VIP things for my solo shit where I have people come in and I play a couple songs and we do like a Q&A where we like ask questions of each other and we talk about the albums and we talk about shit and sometimes those things end up getting so heavy you know, because people come to them and they're talking about their mental health struggles and they're talking about their addiction struggles. And that stuff's real, man. That stuff's very heavy. And when you hear people lament about it, it's it takes a lot out of you. Um, 
and there are times where I'm like, man, like I've really let a lot of myself out there, you know, like I can meet people and they can know what I struggle with without me knowing them, you know? Um, and that's a little bit awkward sometimes, but I prefer it than I prefer it to um, hiding and keeping everything behind closed doors, trying to put on like some facade that it's not like the way it is, you know, I'd rather it be heavy and be like um, in the mindset of like trying to come together with people than on the run from it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And like, it's gotta be a good feeling to know, like you've helped people. Um, I would say it's a good feeling to know that I've put stuff out there that people can go and get help from. Like, I don't really like to, to think of it as like me helping people. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? I feel like that's giving me too much credit. <laughs> um, I think that in doing it, it helps me and it helps continue that cycle that I'm a part of where music will constantly remind me about how great life is and how, um, good we actually have it here you know even if it's just simply because of being able to enjoy music mm -hmm. um if you can think of something specific like when you were younger you know dealing with the stuff all teenagers deal with like what were some of the artists or albums or songs that like you know kind of helped get you through stuff um i can remember being in the car in the backseat of my my parents car while they like argued and fight and i was listening to like porno for pyros and like stone temple pilots and blind melon and stuff like that um and then like as i got older you know listening to like the vandals and minor threat and my brother was really into like dc hardcore scene and uh had a bunch of um you know, Fugazi albums and, and like schooled me on that whole etiquette. And I, I kind of rate, he kind of raised me to believe that that was the way to do it. Like how they do it, you know, like don't rely too much on corporations for, for your success, you know, um, front your own shit, make your own shit. Um, and I always, I always thought that that was, you know, there was like a piece of how they ran their business and I wanted to make sure I kept, you know, like there was an integrity piece that they had that I wanted to make sure I was, I was um, utilizing. For sure. Even if it was different from theirs, you know. Mm -hmm. Growing up with that um, sort of those ethics, like was there hesitation when it came time for Circa to go to a major label? Like yeah, the there, there was, there was, I mean, the reason why I left Saveson was pretty much because they were getting ready to sign to a major label. And I, I saw it as the end of my career at 19. I didn't see it as like the beginning of us turning into Metallica. I thought of us as taking a risk at losing all of our like proprietary shit, like as at an early age. And again, like my brother counseled me a lot through that. And um, when it came time for Circuit Assigned to uh, Atlantic, we weren't doing a 360 deal. You know, we made the deal exactly what we would have wanted if we were going to sign to a big label and work with them. 
And we were ready to try to see if there was a way that they could help us bring like the weird shit that we were making to masses, you know? So we were giving it a shot. And I feel like that's like always the thing, right? With, I mean, ever since like Nirvana or something, it's like, if you can like take, you know, the underground and infiltrate the masses with it, or just, you know, turn people on to different, either lyrical themes or musical directions. Like it's, you know, I, I think it's like, that's how, you know, new generations find stuff, right? Like the major label bands got to me when I was like 12 and then eventually you find like the underground stuff, but yeah. So just to go back to your new record a little bit, um, you, uh, I was reading what you wrote about it, like in press materials. I like that you said that these songs aren't about your relationships with drugs or with people. They're about your relationship with yourself. Can you kind yeah. of expand on that? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, all of the songs have this pivot um, in them where like they talk about my, I talk about myself from like the I perspective, like every single one of them has like some lyric where I'm singing, like, I don't do this, or I want this, or I want that. And I think I did that subconsciously a lot um, without realizing the correlations between that shit and my actual life. And so there were times in writing this record where I was going through some shit and I sat down to write and I started writing and I realized that like, I was figuring out how to heal myself through the song. I was figuring out what I wanted to say through trying what I meant, what I wanted through the song. Um, and I think that um, I've just hated myself for so long. Like I've hated my face. I hate my voice. I hate everything. And I was like obsessed with this. So I was in this self-obsessed, self-hatred mode that I realized that the only way I was gonna get out of that was if I started to look at things about myself that I, I did like, you know? And so I spent a considerable amount of time writing and kind of negotiating with myself what I had to do in order to allow myself to feel good about who I was and what I, what I was on this world, you know? And that's sort of what happened on the record. Mm -hmm. You also said that um, that one of your goals with these songs was to expose the things that make you feel most embarrassed or ashamed in order to kill that shame. Yeah. Um, has like putting this music out into the world and having total strangers hear it help with that at all, given you some relief? Absolutely. It certainly does. Like things like this um, in, you know, meeting the people at VIP and meeting people at shows like it's there's no facade about this anymore like I'm not trying to pretend that I'm all good I'm not trying to pretend that I'm you know um, always going to have my shit together like it's there's a freedom in allowing yourself to be who you are and sometimes who you are is in flux you know and is uh, is you know it's a work in progress and being okay with that too allows it to flourish and grow um, yeah, I, I really, the last couple of years I've been going through like this rigorous test of trying to figure out how I can feel better about myself and my place on this earth. And I don't know if one record or one song or one instance where I ever just like get that and have it be um, gotten 
you know, it'll never be, um, it'll never be a thing where it's, you're attained, it's attained. It's just like, you're in the process of learning constantly. You're always, you're like perpetually attaining it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of funny then that the album is called Boom Done when it's like quite the opposite, I guess, as you're saying. Kind of. <laughs> um, I saw the title as a couple of different things. I said it one day on a phone call where we were talking about some songs or I don't remember exactly what I was talking to. I think I might've been talking to Keith or Tim and I was like, boom, done. And that's just not how things go. You know, like nothing is boom, done, you know? Actually, there are a couple things that are boom done. I think a part of it also was like a sort of a play on, like, I think there was a part of my life where I imagined like not being alive when the record came out, or maybe it was even planning on that in some cryptic shitty way. Um, So I thought about it being like my last solo record. Um, I do think I might retire my solo thing for a little while to just focus on some of the other bands I have going on right now. And so I did think of it as like, maybe this will be the last solo record I put out, you know, maybe not ever, but for a long time. So I thought the the name could work in like a hundred different ways. For sure. And I do really feel like it's, um, how do I say it? Like, it, it feels like a monumental record in your career and life. Like, I mean, as an outsider, of course, but like, you know, it just like, uh, like even you said you were writing this your whole life, like it kind of sounds lyrically and everything about it. Like it just feels like it's going to go down as like one of the pivotal records in Anthony Green's career. I think, you know, that's like the way it's how fucking cool that is to hear you say (laughs) that. It really is cool. Like I just turned 40 and you know, the last couple of years have been really tough and this record, like I know that it's special just because I feel that connection with it. But um, to hear you say that and to hear other people like sort of validate that, like um, it's crazy. I don't even know how to take it. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, even from a fan's perspective, right? Like you um, you get so, especially cause you know, when you're young and you're getting into music uh, and you want to seem cool and the older kids like, tell you what you should think and you kind of do it like there's always this idea of like when does an artist fall off right like the first two records are good and then you know and then it falls off right and so like to be 20 years later and like you know an artist who's been around that whole time like puts out a record and you're just like I feel this this is very real and genuine this is like it's not I'm not living in some nostalgic past it's like a great current record like you know, it's like almost a surreal feeling for me, you know, like having yeah. like been listening to your music. Dude, I get like, it because <laughs> I've bought albums like from artists where I'm like, I just love this artist. I'll get whatever they get. And then, you know, I remember feeling that way about um, the Deftones uh, um, Diamond Eyes record. Mm-hmm. And just being like, man, this band is so good still. Like they're better now how how does that keep happening you know um and i'm on the flip side i've heard a lot of artists that i really love and respect and i listen to them and i think like man they're just really not putting the time and effort into their music that they used to you know um i don't know to hear to hear somebody who's uh, listens to me say that is just an absolute it's a mind fuck of an honor 
Well, I mean it, and it's my pleasure. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think that Deftones' last record is like fucking awesome. Me too. I love it yeah. so much. I love Gore. I love Ohms. I I love everything they do. I think, you know. But like that being said, when they put out something like Ohms, you know, you're like, what the fuck? Like, how is it that I'll sign on to like anything they do, but this is like makes me want to listen to it, you know? Yeah, it's like, it's been, I, I actually just recently talked about this on another podcast episode. So if anyone listens to them all, you're going to hear the same stuff. <laughs> but like, um, the, you know, as like, so like, you know, listening to music for as long as we have at this point, um, to watch the bands that, you know, you were watching 20 years ago and like, look at what they're doing now. And it's really good. Like, I don't know. It's like, it's such a interesting feeling. Cause like, it's, I'm now looking like, you know, like I'm getting to the point where it's like, somebody might be like, you're old and out of touch. You don't know what's happened, what's cool anymore. And um, yeah. And like, you know, like when you see like, just another example, it's like last year's every time I die record, like I was blown away by that. And I'm like, these yeah. guys have been doing this for like 22 years. Um, and uh, it's just such a like different thing when it's that genuinely good and they've been around for that long and it's like you know it's like the youthful abandon is gone but it's a different kind of sort yeah. of urgency yeah it's like you're it's you're validated in thinking that the person that you like is a real artist right you're like oh fuck like they are really still good you know what i mean like and so often we get let down that when that happens when an artist like surpasses our expectations and is taking what we give them as artists and making something great out of it. I think that there's some like, ah, like an appreciation or like a relief in that. Like, oh, I've given this guy time or they given this person time and energy for myself. And they, they take care of it. They cherish it and they make consistently good shit. Yeah. Um, so we people have, have been saying that to me about this record. Like I don't talk to that many people about it. But the people that I have talked to about it are like, this is the best thing you've ever done. I'm like, really? Fuck, that's so sick. <laughs> what do I do next? <laughs> You'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah, I already, I have a plan for the, the new, new shit that I'm working on is going to be even more orchestral. And I'm going to go lean super hard into the instruments that I haven't fucked with yet and just make something even weirder. Well, I can't wait to hear it. So... Another thing I was just kind of thinking about is like, there's also this, you know, this feeling where um, sometimes like an artist or a band has just been at it for like 20, 30 years, and then they make something so significant that it like, you just feel like, like, I guess you kind of said this, but it's like, you feel like I was right all along. Like, and it's like, you don't need that. Like you should be able to get one great album and that's all you need. And you're like, see how good this is. And that's it. But there is like, I don't know, like, um, you know, like I work in press and the music press has had not the best relationship with the kind of music we've been talking about this episode. Uh, and now the music press seems a lot nicer to it. Um, so why do you think that is? I think there's a lot of factors. Um, I think one of them is that people around my age, I'm in my early 30s, uh, grew up listening to bands like Circuit Survive. And then now they write for places like Brooklyn Vegan and Stereo Gum and Pitchfork and they're like hey that band's fucking rad and you can't tell me they aren't um yeah. so I think that's part of it um I love that yeah 
I also just think that, um, you know, like the same thing with the musicians, not just not just press, it's also the musicians, right? It's like you look at someone like Phoebe Bridgers, like she grew up on emo. It's obvious. Like, so, yeah. you know, like she's like the biggest, most acclaimed person in like in cool indie rock right now. And she's amazing. And, you know, she's like, obviously she comes from that world. Um, yeah. And so I think that's part of it, too, is like people have to acknowledge like, all right, like emo or whatever you want to call it, like did a lot for a certain generation of kids. And now they make their own music like it. I think it taught people like even before you were talking about singing in first person and stuff. And like, I think emo or whatever it is that you you know prefer to use. I know it's a word not everyone loves. Whatever you call it, I think it taught people like you can really open up. You can sing about mental yeah. health. You can sing about relationships in a way that isn't just like I love you or I don't love you, but like get deeper, you know, and like, yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that's the big thing. I think this kind of music taught a certain generation like to be in touch with a lot of emotions and it led to a lot of great music. I mean, look, rappers fucking cite this stuff, you know, like, yeah, like, dude, I, I think like, you're absolutely right in, in that. And um, I love that. I love that this music kind of helped people learn how to express their feelings a little bit more and I value that as a part of art and music. You know, I feel like um, there was a lot of like shallow, like it's like not like a shallow love song, then it's like, then it's nothing. You know what I mean? Um, and I, I love that this generation kind of brought in that, ushered in that, that super, um, emotional, super vulnerable and powerful sense of self in their music. Yeah. And I also think like, especially within the context of indie rock, like for a while and even still now, like, you know, there's this feeling that like, if you aren't showing emotion, then you're cooler, you know, like, and, yeah. um, and I think, I think it comes in waves though. Like, I think people want you to be really like disaffected and distanced and detached and then you're cool and then people are like no i need some emotion then people are like now it's a little too earnest and i want to go back to the other thing but i yeah. think like right now we're in a wave where people are like no i think tell me how you feel you know like don't like yeah. don't make this like a like a distance like i you know like a lot's going on in the world like be honest like yeah so people don't want just like another bubblegum pop song like they want stuff that's gonna like help them deal with this shit that's happening. Yeah, for sure. Um, so we digress, but what I was also going to say was, um, yeah, you know, like, I think when you see, like, let's just go back to the Deftones, like when the Deftones, you know, like white pony is such a crucial record for so many reasons, for so many different people. And I do think it took like a lot of retrospective acknowledgement to get there. Like it wasn't so instant with everybody the way maybe like, okay, computer or something would have been. Yeah. Um, but to see them making records today that hold a candle to white pony, you're like, see this band truly earned it. You know, like they're still out there yes. earning it. Like there's something that as a fan feels so it validates all the time that you put into them. Even if exactly. it was that, that one album, it's like, look, I put all this time into them and they're, and they're paying it forward, you know? Yeah. And not to like fanboy too much, but you know, I think your new record does that. I think the new Circus Revive EPs also really do that. I mean, me too. I was so proud of those EPs and I was like a little disappointed. I didn't feel like anybody even knew that they happened. Um, and they were like my favorite things that Circa ever made. Um, and I think that when I put out everything now, I sort of just put it out. 
I don't really expect anybody to like it more than they liked my first record, you know, and I don't really look for that. And I just want to continue to be in the game, you know, so to put something out that then people actually like, oh yeah, this is really special and we really love it um, and recognize it. It was cool. I kind of thought that was going to happen with those. I thought those were the best circa music, best circa music I ever made. So. Yeah. I mean, I think it's like, it's super up there and it's just so different for the band. And that's like, what's so inspiring too, right. Is like when you just watch a band, that's like, we've been around for 20 years and we want to do something new. Like yeah. it's, it's like inspiring. I mean, um, just to keep naming other bands, they're breaking up soon. Like me without you. I know you're super familiar with them. Why are they breaking like, up? They shouldn't know, break so up. Sad. I'm, gonna put a, I'm putting it out <laughs> on this podcast right now. Me without you should not break up. They should just take a little bit of time play every couple years, play once a year, just don't, they shouldn't take their, their work away from the world like that. I know it's sad. I'm hoping that like, they'll, you know, have like the thing where in three, four years, they're like, ah, oh, we shouldn't have done that. Um, yeah. I'm hoping it happens in three or four months. Right. Yeah. That would be even better, but they're going out on such a high note. That last record is truly one of my favorite things they've done. And yeah. so it's like, it's everything they've ever been, but also different for them. And it's just like, it's exciting. Yeah. Um, but um, but yeah, with, uh, you know, so for you, for an artist who sort of like, obviously there's intent there to like, not just repeat yourself, not live in the past. Um, I'm not going to name names, but like, I've seen bands where they're like, hey, we know you're here for like our 2002 songs exclusively. We're going to play you a new one. Don't get too bored. And then we're going to give you everything you want. And yeah. like, it's, it's inspiring when it isn't live. Obviously sometimes it's out of your control, right? Sometimes you're just like, no matter how hard I try, the fans only want my old records. Um, but, um, but you know, you certainly are not reliving your past. When you go to write music, like, do you like have thoughts about like, you know, aging gracefully, so to speak? Like, is it something that enters your mind or are you just like try to tune it all out and just write the music that you want to write? Yeah, I just tune everything out and I sit there as non-judgmental as I can without any sort of bias coming in. And I just kind of let it happen the same way I did that when I was 17. You know, I, I sort of emptied my brain a little bit and just let the music and the feeling of the music take over. And I'm lucky I can still do that. For sure. Um, so you were talking about how you said the next thing you're going to work on might be even more orchestral. Um, on this new record, I mean, like, it's so hard to talk about things that aren't the lyrics because they're so deep, but also like the horns, like the horns yeah. are awesome. Like how the horns that... are the star of the record. Yeah, they really are. Like, I, like, how did that become? Because I don't think you've ever made such horns. I've been wanting to before. put horns on my songs for a long time. And originally when I was writing this album, I wanted there to be brass on a bunch of the songs, but then it just became a thing where the guys who were writing and playing the horns just got a chance to play on almost everything. And uh, I think that like, I wanted the record to feel less lonely than the other records and horns are like, they're like singing, you know, but they're not people and it's controlled by a person, but it's like a non lyrical voicing, you know, and I really loved it. And I thought about, um, how old funk music and rhythm and blues would utilize the horns and kind of gave even the saddest song like an up feel, an uplifting feeling. And I wanted it 
I wanted it to feel different. And so I took a chance on the horns and, and adding a lot of synths. And I really, um, there was a couple people, this guy, Rob, who did the synth stuff for the record and the guys from West Philly Orchestra who did the, the, um, the horns, they really, they really, uh, they went above and beyond. And I think like, there's not a lot of records out there that utilize horns and brass in this type of way. So I thought it would be cool to try to see if I can make it work and not have it sound like a ragtime band. <laughs> no, it sounds great. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting too that like you were just on tour with like Tim Kasher because like just being in this realm like I'm like sometimes I get cursive vibes you know from yeah. the record that's so cool <laughs> um so can you like shed any more of a light on this new more orchestral stuff or I just really want to start playing around with different instrumentations I think I've I've used like the guitar bass and drums and to the extent that I can use them and I'm not like abandoning them, but I really want to play around with different types of instrumentation, different types of voicing, and uh, maybe even different types of storytelling. You know, I started thinking about writing um, like, um, like a classical piece, like almost like an opera. It would be like a classical piece. It could be like six different songs. It would be uh, maybe about my mom growing up. Uh, I just started thinking about different things I would like to try to accomplish. And I'd love to put out a record that was just filled with harps and timpani and sort of sounds like something that could exist during like Frank Sinatra's heyday, you know? Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. But still be me. Right. Right. Um, so you mentioned like, I mean, you kind of, you said you have new music with Sad Animals Fighting with Seosin. Uh, I assume Circus probably got more stuff coming. Yeah, Circa's uh, taking a little break right now, but, um, you know, I, I hope that we can get back to doing some shit soon. And um, I have a new project that's putting out some music before the end of the year that I can't really talk about right now because we're waiting to make the announcement at some point at the end of the month. But I'm really excited about that. Awesome. For Circa, are you thinking of... Um kind of sticking to the realm of those two EPs or going back to like a more guitar type heavier sound? Or... I don't really know. You know, Circa is always like sort of a, it's sort of um, a group driven dynamic. So I guess we'd have to just get together and jam to see how it would go. Um, but I have high hopes for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so with Seosin, um, so you, you did that record with them in 2016. Mm -hmm. which was your first since you rejoined. Yeah. Um, and then now you have a new one. Um, what brought you back to that band? Honestly, you know, I've always kind of missed it when I wasn't there and I always missed singing those songs. So when I saw my opportunity, I took it. Um, you know, Chris, they had left their old singer and the bass player was talking to me about looking for new singers, if I could help him find somebody or if I would help him write. And I was like, just let me sing on it. Just, just let's do that. And it'll be fun. And um, I'm excited about the new music we're working on. It's, it's really different, very heavy. Um, I kind of want, if we do new CS, say some music, I kind of want it to be 
something that's distinctive. Like I want you to be able to hear it and know that it's the Seosin record and not think like, is this Sound of Animals or is this Seosin or is this Circa? You know, like mm-hmm. I want it to be really heavy. That makes sense. Yeah. That's awesome too. Cause like, it'll be fun to hear you doing heavy stuff again. Yeah. <laughs> um, did you like keep up with them when you weren't in the band? Were you like paying attention to the records they were putting out? I did. I paid attention. I like stalked them and paid attention and um, I liked the records that they did. Um, I, you know, I, I, I always felt like I did them a little dirty. So I felt bad about leaving. And uh, so I always wanted to try to mend those fences and um, I was really grateful to be able to, to, to just make friends with them again and be able to be on this planet with them and not worried about running into them and not worried about, you know, all that shit. It's, it's a real relief. Nice. I recently heard that CU Space Cowboy cover of that Seishin song. That was yeah. pretty awesome, huh? Yeah, I got to meet them um, at this festival I played in New York a couple weeks ago. And they were the sweetest kids. And the, the song is a, it's a great cover. Yeah. I feel like it, uh, you know, it suits them so well. Like you could totally hear, like, I love their music and like, you could definitely hear the influence. Um, yeah, for sure. At what point did you realize, like, you know, the music you made with that band was starting to sort of like come back and influence new bands? Um, it was actually a long time ago. Um, the that guy Skrillex was singing for that band from first to last. And he used to hit me up at like three o'clock in the morning and call me and be like, do you know how much your music <laughs> has gotten me through this or that? And, and um, like he would send me other bands music to be like, listen to what a Sabeson ripoff this is, <laughs> you know? And, um, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, when, when one flower is watered, the whole garden grows, you know? Mm-hmm. And so Seosin um, was just me ripping off, you know, Jeff Rickley and Claudio from Coheed and, um, you know, like impersonating all my favorite singers. So um, I feel like I got a chance because of those other guys. And I feel like, you know, sometimes a singer of a band will, will like make a sound that sort of gives permission to everybody else to sound like that or to try that. And uh, I think that I was being just a little part of that was really, was really gratifying for me. I still am super honored to be a little part of that. Thanks again for listening. Thanks to Anthony for coming on the show. Remember to subscribe to the Brooklyn Vegan Show wherever you listen to podcasts and stay tuned for more episodes. Here's more of Don't Dance by Anthony Green. Maintain,